Hello, and welcome to Contour's first podcast. I'm Joshua Craker. I'm the Chief Product Officer of Contour, and with me here is our CEO, Carl Wagner. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is a really exciting year for Contour as we're counting down to our official launch in, in Q3, um, having been beta for, for the past year. Um, but really ahead of our official launch, we're kicking off our brand new podcast series to educate and inform companies on how global trade can be made more accessible, digital, and secure. To kick off our first, our very first episode, we have a very special guest join us. Please welcome Alexander Galandrius, co-CEO and CRO of S-Docs. Um, Alex, uh, I think the first thing to do is uh, let's uh, maybe introduce yourself. Uh, good morning, good afternoon. Uh, thank you very much. Great to be here with uh, you, Carl and Joshua. Um, my name's Alex Galandris. I'm uh, co-CEO of Estocs. I was a co-founder of Estocs. Uh, come from a shipping family. Uh, I was a maritime lawyer for many years, qualified in the UK and the US, practiced mainly in New York uh, before founding Estocs in 2005. Um, in addition to my roles as uh, CEO of Estocs, I also uh, sit on a number of ICC boards. So I'm uh, on the advisory board of the Banking Commission and I'm co-chair of the Digitization Group. So delighted to join you today. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alex. And, and uh, really, this is it's great for you to be here because uh, the relationship between Contour and, and Estocs is, is a very special one. Um, what you guys provide in, in terms of um, electronic documentation is is really key to how we're presenting um, uh, the the electronic LC, and uh, it's it's a great relationship and working with more and more customers. And uh, again, maybe someone we can talk about it a little bit later. But it, but it's really interesting because it's different parties working together that really um, going to make this make this global trade more efficient and work uh, work together uh, better in, in the future. So I think I'll turn it back to, to Josh. Uh, you're going to uh, yeah. lead us through. Thanks, Carl. So, yeah, no, I'd, I'd be happy to. So, you know, Alex, you've obviously been working in, in trade digitization for a long time, you know, as has Carl and I. But, you know, it does seem like there's something special about 2020 beyond the obvious uh, challenges that everyone's facing around digitization. Do you, do you see it increasing this year? And, and how do you think it's going to change um, as we hopefully get beyond this the current, the, the current pandemic crisis and move into 2021? Yeah, so I think we've seen some massive shifts in, in mindsets um, from corporations all the way to, to governments. Uh, essentially, this pandemic um, at its height, shut down courier companies, forced people to work from home, um, forced people to socially distance. Uh, we had issues where a, a ship came into an oil refinery and one of the crew members um, was being quarantined for COVID. And, and in the tanker business, you'll normally take the shipping documents onto the vessel to, to review and sign. And as you can imagine, no one was particularly keen to do that uh, with a potentially infected vessel. So what we've seen over the last six months essentially is probably a, within our, our own ecosystem, a seven-year increase of adoption or, or seven years worth of, of adoption in, in a few months. So massive, massive change, uh, massive, massive shift to electronic 
Um, the biggest uh, platform here for us that that's really changed is, is our platform called ESSA, which does certificates of origin. And as you can imagine, no chamber of commerce uh, wants to have people come into their office to, to, to give them uh, paperwork to review and, and sign a stamp. Um, and so that shift to electronic just jumped up uh, very, very significantly. And, and we, we've obviously seen it, it come back down a little bit as, as we've started to, to move into a new normal. But I think that shift is here to stay. Yeah, that, that's great, Alex. And, you know, Carl, I'll ask you the same question. But, uh, Alex, in, in terms of where you're seeing the demand from, especially, you know, is it sellers? Is it buyers? Is it the shipping industry or banks? Uh, and, and how does that sort of balance out, if you will? Because obviously we need everyone to come together on these platforms to really enact true digitization. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, digital trade is a uh, team sport. Um, we've seen both sides, really. Um, we've seen exporters sit there and go, okay, I want to use CargoDocs, which is our uh, end-to-end electronic document platform, um, as its business continuity plan. And, and so one minor essentially looked at our network of customers and said, listen, there, there seem to be 31 major steel mills in China that are missing. And within the course of about 10 weeks, they wrote to all of them, uh, persuaded them all to sign up, and they've all been signed up and onboarded. And then they've now started to do the same with Korea and, and moving country by country. Uh, equally, we've, we've seen importers do the same in reverse, go to their suppliers and say, I want to move to 100% electronic documents. Um, so I, I think all parties of the supply chain have been significantly hampered by by the use of paper. Um, as I said before, I, I've done a lot with the ICC, and the ICC spent a huge amount of time and energy trying to find workarounds for banks in the early days of this pandemic. And they have been very successful in doing that, but, but essentially these banks are now using scanned copy documents, which is uh, neither scalable nor fundamentally secure. It, it's fine for a temporary period. Um, but as this pandemic sort of dissipates and, and as people start to go back to work, or at least as, as we start to learn to deal with, with having this virus in, a, in, a, in our world, um, they're going to need to find digital solutions to replace the paper-based processes of the past. There's no, there's no options. That's, that's great, Alex. And, and Carl, maybe I'll ask you the same question. And maybe for our listeners that might not know too much about Contour, it might be a good opportunity to give a bit of an introduction. But you know, of course, as, as a growing global network that's you know quickly moving towards its production launch, you know, where are you seeing the, the real pull and um, demand coming from for, for these digital process enhancements around the letters of credit and other traditional products that, of course, go hand in hand with digital documentation? Yeah, thanks, Josh. I mean, for, for Contour, really, where our first initial product is is building a more efficient letter of credit um, process for the whole ecosystem and making it digital. So having transparency and having the 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 data the data set. And in the old days, it was it was a stack of paper that went along with the ship. And now I sort of think it is a data set um, um, that that now moves from seller to to negotiating bank to to issuing bank to buyer right and how does that data set move and and really again with this this covid-19 uh stressing the fact that some places documents can't be mailed anymore right i, I went to the post office uh and and i, I was trying to mail something of, about 
two months ago and they said, oh, sorry, there's no mail to that country in Europe for the, at the moment. You're like, well, what do you mean? There's no planes going, right? So, uh, you know, physical documents are, are, are a real challenge. And it, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And looking at it, uh, Alex was talking more from the, the corporate side for the banks as well. And the banks are learning. You know, banks have, have traditionally, you know, you have your offices, you have your, your, your trade finance division, you have your document checkers, you have that mail room to process those documents. And when that's not there, what do you do? And I think banks, um, for one, have become more accustomed and learned. And I think it's going to change, you know, banking considerably that you don't need to have maybe all this bricks and mortar to, to process it. But it's also, I think banks are learning that if you something like global trade, use it again, a, a team sport, you need the ecosystem. And one bank by itself can't solve the problem. You need to have a solution that works across the system, buyer's bank, seller's bank, buyer and seller, uh, the, the shippers, the, the, uh, the, the carriers, you know, that information, how do you collaborate electronically throughout that, that whole process? And, and you see banks helping each other. And I think this is really interesting, you know, with, with, uh, with COVID is, is you see bigger banks helping smaller banks. You see banks collaborating on platforms like Contour to, to say, you know, this is this is the way it's going to work in the future, and uh, we're going to all help each other if we build a standard. That's great, Carl. And I think collaboration is is really a, a great word, and probably could be the theme of this this whole call. Um, you know, Alex, you've you've been working now with Contour for a little over a year, um, and you've obviously seen it it grow and change quite a bit. You know, do you think that this is is getting close to a turning point, and how do you think that? Maybe the partnership with you know all of the banks that have created you know Contour and using the power of a decentralized technology like blockchain you know combined with you know your history and your your sort of great head start you know we're definitely sort of standing on your shoulders a little bit you know how how us working together and collaborating can make this different this time you know when we're trying to really build um, this massive global network of banks and corporates. I mean, I, I think I sort of summed it up at the beginning when I said um, digital trade is a team sport. I mean, for us, uh, we do a lot of partnerships. Uh, we, as you said, we've been working with Contour for a couple of years now. Um, and through our work together, we're able to give our mutual customers a much deeper and holistic solution set. I mean, essentially, they're, they're generating the, the, the le digital letters of credit on Contour, but then they're uh, able to present original electronic documents under that same LC via Colgadocs, but those are also accessible within Contour. So within Contour now, you have essentially brought together two platforms that do slightly different parts of, of the trade digitization, but giving their that, that single customer uh, a single platform to use. And, and these types of partnerships, these types of interoperability and, and collaboration, is it going to become the mainstream for trade? Uh, we've We've been working with partners off and on for about five years, and we see that as increasingly important. It's essentially, one of the biggest problems we have today in digital trade is too many systems. Um, and, and there's a finite number of usernames and passwords that people can use. There's a finite number of different UIs people become, become accustomed to. So essentially, for people to get the most out of digital trade, the types of partnership that we've built together are, are going to be increasingly critical. Uh, and those will drive 
the ROIs that the customers need. And by driving the ROI, you'll then drive adoption. So, so essentially, it's a, it's a positively reinforcing circle. I think that's that's absolutely great, Alex. And you know, when I used to think about trade digitization, I used to think about it in sort of two very different worlds. You know, one is the communication and the process of a product like a letter of credit, which can really be quite complex, especially if you manage it using you know a a, a swift message instead of a workflow. And then you have the removal of paper and digitization. And I think that's really what we're looking at is how these two things can finally come together onto you know, a, a single connected platform, you know, with less usernames and passwords to make the experience uh, better for everyone. So, so maybe Carl, a question to you, you know, with your history working with, um, with, with, with blockchain, why do you think blockchain has helped the bank sort of wake up and come together and, and collaborate in such a way, you know, to create a company like Contour and now partnering with SDocs and now starting to, to scale and go into production? What is it about blockchain that has made this uh, different this time? Yeah, I think that's that's a real key differentiator, um, and it's it's not that people are. It's a new idea to digitize trade. It's been around for a long time. Um, someone on I uh, found an, an old uh, presentation from mine on the internet. The internet's got everything from 2005, where I was you know advisor on the APEC. Uh, you know, paperless trading initiative. All the APEC countries were going to do all this trading, you know, all paperless within two years. Well, it didn't happen. Then they made it two years later. It didn't happen. And then it just got difficult and, and they put it, put it aside. Um, it's not that it's a new idea, but I think the technology and, and blockchain or distributed ledger technology is an opportunity to, to change that. And it's really because you know, Swift started, I mean, Swift is a centralized system and, and it's a great messaging system, but it's it's centralized and it started in the 70s, right? So that was a long time ago. Um, right now with uh, geopolitical issues and, um, you know, uh, other, you know, people, countries being more cautious about their, their, their data, uh, no one, I mean, a, a centralized system where you have global data in, in one system it is a challenge for a lot of countries to accept and and blockchain or distributed ledger technology being uh, having allowing different parties to communicate using their own databases and and contour really as a communications protocol between the different corda nodes and and we're we're based on on r3's corda but being the protocol for each each company, each user has their own database and, and they can keep their data in their own country, whether it's on their own system, in the cloud in their country. But, but Distributed Ledger allows you know, companies in different countries to communicate without a central database. Then the regulators are, are more confident that the, the data, which is commercial data, which is uh, very important national data, it doesn't cross borders except for the parts that have to. And, and also, you know, to have a, you know, uh, any company that now is, is going to create a, another global ecosystem, a global central database, that's going to be a little bit of a challenge, especially with the geopolitical issues right now. So I think that, you know, it's, it's not a new idea, but the technology now is allowing this to happen. And, uh, and, and it's, it's a tremendous opportunity between the technology matching up with what we need uh, to to allow countries to support this, regulators to support this, and and banks to be able to uh, to to really adopt this. 
Thanks, Carl. I think that's great. Um, so, Alex, maybe I'll ask you a bit of a tricky question. Uh, what is SDOC's view on this in terms of decentralization and blockchain technology? You know, does SDOC have a, a plan or a view on if, if they think they should sort of move their system into a, a blockchain based or DLT system, or are you happy with where you are? I think the answer is um, we're going to do a bit of both. I, I don't believe the future digital ecosystem will be everything will be blockchain based. I don't think all solutions require blockchain. If I'm a port community system in one country, uh, I don't have an, an issue of cross-border data sharing. Um, if I'm a certificate of origin platform, um, potentially, again, a, a blockchain might be you know, a hitting a nail with a microscope, as I was once um, <laughs> once told as an analogy for, for over-egging the pudding. So I think there are lots of places where blockchain has tremendous value uh, as a technology, and there's lots of technologies that are really emerging today that will make a massive difference in the digitization of supply chain. And, and blockchain isn't the only one. Obviously, IoT, uh, big data analytics, open APIs will, will make a massive, massive difference. Um, but, but, but specifically to your question, uh, we will be launching a significant upgrade to our solution suite uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, essentially, we'll be moving from being a, a documentation, digital documentation company to, to one focus more on, on global trade management. And as part of that, we will be uh, incorporating ledger technology into our core platform for the first time. Um, so certainly we see a lot of the traits of blockchain as, as invaluable, immutability, non-repudiation, obviously hugely valuable. Uh, on the issue of, of distribution of data, uh, there are different ways to distribute data, and, and, and we are taking a slightly different approach from a pure blockchain uh, platform in the sense that we, we will provide for hybrid deployments where an exporter uh, can can host and manage their own database, but the application remains in the cloud. Um, but not necessarily everyone has their own database. But if you look at the documents and the data that SDOCS tends to deal with, it's cr cross-border data. Uh, so by definition, it's not going to stay in one country. So therefore, the, this issue of all the data needs to remain in one country, it's impossible in cross-border trade. So, so for us, uh, we feel that blockchain doesn't, have quite as immense power as it does in, in other use cases. No, I, I would uh, completely agree. And I think one of the things when we came putting together Contour and our, our, our partner strategy was that, you know, to, to be sort of technology agnostic, right? The, the, the goal is really to move that data electronically and to continue that journey from, you know, all paper to some electronic to future you know, all electronic or all structured data, but you, that there is not going to be one platform and, and whether it's different blockchain platforms or it's non-blockchain, it, it doesn't matter at this point. Let's get this data in electronically and integrate it so that there's, you know, the, the concept sort of talk about data inheritance, right? If you've keyed it in once, why would you want to key it again, right? And if we can transfer this data across systems, that then then we've won, right? And and that's that's the that's the goal we're looking at to to make all this data take away the paper and and, and make it electronic. Yeah, so I kind of want to dig in a little bit more on something that, that you, you both mentioned, which is around um, regulations and keeping data, say, in one country. You know, I've had lots of interesting conversations myself with regulators on this related to trade data, 
you know, is this an issue? Are we going to face issues with certain countries and regulations who say, I want all my data to be in this country, even though, of course, if you look at trade, you know, as you mentioned, Alex, by its definition, um, that it's going to have to at least travel to that, to that other country where the goods are going or coming from. You know, is this an issue or is this something that's going to sort of fall away with, with some education? Uh, Carl, if you, you want me to take that first, yeah, uh, okay. I, I, think, I think it will definitely be an issue for some countries. Um, but I think overall it will fall away with some education. Um, now, the reality is where it's an issue for some countries, it's more likely to be an issue for, pe for protectionist reasons. They're trying to build up blockchain skill sets within their country. Uh, or they're trying to build up tech uh, skill sets within their country. Or we just happen to be in one of the worst trade wars we've ever seen. Um, I remember President Trump saying it was very easy to win trade wars and that it would be over in a matter of weeks, but it doesn't seem quite like that at the moment. Um, and so I think trade wars will impact some of these questions. So it won't actually have anything to do with regulators' real desire to maintain data or, or privacy. It will be much more... Uh, do I want to keep out this competitor? Do I want to build a tech ecosystem within within a certain region of the world? I, I think some of those so those factors will 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 rear their heads in in the coming years, and and that's definitely negative for digital trade. But fundamentally, every country in the world is an import export country, and and, and as such, they're all in. They're all, they all benefit from digital trade. So I think we will, through education, eventually overcome all these problems, um, but it won't happen overnight. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I think trade wars is a, is, is, is a good point to make, right? I think sort of COVID-19 is, is encouraging some regulators and some countries to realize that digital data makes them more efficient and allows trade and, and imports and exports which are essential for the lifeblood of a country to, to work better. But yeah, you're right. I think trade wars will, you know, and, and whether they're looking from an electronic platform or, or blockchain or whatever it is that, that is going to affect um, the, uh, you know, the, the progress. I mean, I've worked a lot with over the last four or five years um, with, with a, quite a lot of regulators and, um, talking about digital currencies and blockchain and 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 data and it's it really has been a things have moved quite quickly um and, and you, when you think about it from 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 four or five years ago i think COVID's going to move it quicker but uh i think the most of the regulators get it they understand it um and uh the education uh period is 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 ending and the time for action is 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 happening and, and maybe COVID accelerates that a little bit, but yeah, it. it I, I agree. It's not going to be, it's not going to be seamless throughout the whole world with every country, uh, you know, in in you know in the immediate future. But it's a journey, right? And I think just like corporates using technology to be more efficient and 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 beat their competitors, I think countries are going to learn that uh, you know being efficient is is also going to help them be more competitive. Indeed. I, I couldn't agree more, Carl. And, and you know, and it's not just about the storage of data. So there are other barriers, for example. Um, in Russia, to sign something uh, electronically, you need to use a digital certificate from a CA that is Russian. And, and so those types of local legislation, again, clearly protectionist. 
but but they will hamper cross-border trade because if you have a platform where you need to electronically sign documents in multiple countries, then then you might need multiple CAs to to meet the local legislation requirements, and that becomes very burdensome and, and, and expensive over time. Yeah, no, I, I think that those are all really good points, and I think it's really going to be about aligning incentives for all of these different parties, right? So if we have solutions that are global, um, that make trade easier and more accessible, you know, hopefully that uh, governments will, will will sort of agree to use them, even if they go against some of some of these older regulations or protectionist instincts. Um, and maybe this is where the blend of centralized and decentralized comes in. Maybe the port and custom is, is sort of a traditional system, but they allow the banks and corporates to use trade and trade finance systems that are more global in nature and decentralized so that the data can still be re- residing in one country, but uh, can be shared in a responsible and secure way. So I, I guess the question, next question is, where do, where, where do we go from here? Uh, you know, we've obviously come a long way from where we started, but there's still a long way for us to go forward. What What is the path to, you know, digital utopia? Um, is it going to be something that's just going to take a, a very long time and, you know, getting on companies and, and ports and ship owners and banks one by one? Or is there going to be a tipping point that we're going to see? Uh, I'd be curious for both of your your views, but why don't we um, we start with you, Alex, and we'll go to Carl. Uh, I definitely think that COVID nineteen has been, um, if not a tipping point, um, essentially gasoline on a fire of, of something that was inevitable anyway, and it's turned it from digital trade from something that historically I would have said is a nice to have and an operational efficiency to a must have because it essentially facilitates business continuity in a world where you can't necessarily always work from home and where you might have a pandemic that, that could shut down airports and uh, career companies and, and offices at any point in time. Um, so I, I think that the nice to have moved to need to have is, is the biggest shift from, from COVID. And what that means then is you then go, well, so what's in place? Are there solutions that exist today that allow you to digitize? And I'd say, yes, that there definitely are. There's, there's solutions that have been around for a long time. I mean, our, our, our electronic bill of lading solution has been operational for, for over a decade. Um, so really where we're sitting here lagging actually is, is adoption. Um, now, obviously, paperless trade is very new in a lot of these countries. Um, so it's going to, to take them some time to readjust their processes. When I'm doing an import process, for example, uh, I need to, to understand how's my process for importing change from a customs clearance perspective using electronic documents versus paper documents. So, so there will be a shift, but I think the shift has now become a necessity um, and you're going to see because of that major adjustments. So, for example, we still have the Indian government, the Ministry of Shipping was talking about the great work that India has done over the last couple of years in digitizing the customs clearance process with their port community system uh, that's run by uh, another partner of ours called Portal Info Systems. Um, but the problem that they had was they still required paper bills of lading to be presented uh, in person. And during that presentation, people were not able to socially distance for a matter of three hours. And there were a lot of other inefficiencies. So the Ministry of Shipping essentially wrote an open letter to all the other Indian ministries, to the uh, Indian Port Association, the Indian Banking Association, uh, recommending the adoption of, of processes and, and procedures that would allow for electronic bills of lading as fast as possible. And we've seen even more sort of aggressive measures in Oman and, and Peru where they've actually decreed the adoption of electronic documents. So, so governments are really uh, starting to recognize that, that, that 
the digital trade is, is a critical um, infrastructure piece that is currently missing in a paper-based system. Yeah. And, That's great, Carl. And, and uh, yeah, I think that what's interesting that the, the more, uh, you know, we, we get into it and talk to more, more partners is there's a trade is really global trade is really complicated. Right. Um, and there's so many different ecosystems, separate ecosystems that are running to actually allow, you know, goods to move from one place to another. Right. There's, there's ship monitoring, there's container booking, there's customs, there's, of course, finance and, 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 and the banks area. But there's so many different ecosystems out there that do have some, you know, some of them are, are more el- um, are, are more paper-based, some are more electronic, but there's a lot out there that need to connect. And, uh, you know, I, I completely agree that, uh, you know, this pandemic has, has sped things up. Um, I think it's also, uh, I guess, introduced some of these ecosystems to each other because they may have worked more independently because they thought the whole world of global trade was just container booking. But there's a lot more to global trade than, than, than that. Um, you know, and, and I think that more of these systems and, and I look at the 50 or so partners that we're talking to, um, you know, from all different areas. Um, you know, sanctions, KYC, you know, all, all different services um, that, that more and more of us are talking to each other and, and looking at how we can communicate, collaborate, if we go back to that word, um, on, on making trade more efficient. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. And, and the more you learn, the more complicated it is. And of course, every country has its nuances as well. So it, it is a, it's, it's a pretty challenging problem. But uh, I think the progress made in the last six months, um, you know, and probably the next six months are, are definitely going to be more than, well, definitely more than the last 10 or 15 years I've seen. I think that's, that, that's great. I think we'll all, all sort of agree on that. So maybe, you know, let, let's sort of bring this to a practical level. So if I'm a, an exporter and I'm in Vietnam or I'm in Hong Kong and I like what I'm hearing and I want to do a digital LC process and I want to use an electronic bill of lading with, with an e-cert, how do I go about doing that? What is my first port of call? How do, how do I sign up to your platforms? Um, take us through that journey, maybe. Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Carl, in terms of getting onto Contour, and then with Alex in terms of getting onto S-Docs. Well, really, in terms of, uh, you know, you look at a, a trade transaction and, and uh, you know, from a, from a letter of credit process, uh, it's we have the buyer, we have the seller, we have the buyer's bank and, and, and seller's bank. Um, you know, they're all members of this, this workflow where you need to, to it's, it's a payment, uh, it's a payment process for, uh, for a trade where there is a, um, there's a trust deficit between the buyer and seller, right? And so the buyer needs to know what the seller, uh, they want to make sure that they're, they're going to pay for, they're going to get what they pay for. And the seller doesn't want to ship before they get, um, uh, they don't want to ship before they're assured of getting paid, right? And so, you know, there's tremendous um, amount of, of documentation that's traditionally needed to make two decisions. The, the buyer, do I want to buy? And, and uh, the, the bank, do I want to fund this? Do I want to finance this? Um, but there's a lot of information that goes into it. And it does come from, you know, from customs, from inspections, um, you know, and, and how to pull that all together 
um, is 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 a challenge, and it's been on paper. Um, now working with um, with partners, um, you know, we're we're talking about you know data aggregation partners that can pull information from um, carriers or customs or again the whole that whole set of documents that uh, that comes through S docs. Um, you know, bring that all together in one presentation for a bank to make a for the seller to pull together and a bank to make a, a financing decision on, right? There's a, there's a lot of um, information that's needed. Um, I guess it's it's really you know what, what's the process? It's 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 working with partners, working with different ecosystems to to bring it in is 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 really the uh, the the challenge. But it's also amazing how we're working together more and more now. Thanks, Carl. I think that's great. And maybe just um, briefly as well, in terms of, of Contour's ability to, to do transactions, uh, you know, right now we're in our beta phase and we're welcoming uh, new banks and new corporates to come and test our solution for free until the end of the year. And uh, we'll, we'll soon be in, in production as well. So I do encourage those of you listening uh, to get in touch with us and we'll give you some more details on that later. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's, it, is, it is an opportunity now as we look, you know, we're going to production in in uh, next month in, in September, but, uh, you know, beta is an opportunity, uh, like you're saying for folks to test it out. Um, you know, this is something, um, that our, you know, our bank investors have supported, right. They realize that building this ecosystem and, and building a bigger ecosystem is the way to, to make this more efficient and, and having, uh, you know, an opportunity for a, for a free service to, to learn pilot, do transactions now, it, it really does um, encourage more users on the system. And we see now the growth and, and uh, S-Docs, you know, we've seen the same same customers going back and forth. Buyer and seller on the platform, seller says, okay, um, uh, this is really great. I'd like to add another buyer. Buyer says that, add another couple of sellers. And we're building sort of ecosystems in different, um, uh, you know, quite a few in, in different industries that are growing. And it, it's quite amazing how quickly it's snowballing. And how about you, Alex? Um, the process of getting involved with electronic bills of lading, what would be their first step? Uh, the, the first step really is to reach out to one of our eight offices. Um, and the process is pretty simple. We, we need to collect a certain amount of information to, to set users up in the system, to um, provide a legal document because our, our solution set is partly technical but partly legal uh, that deals with the cross-border validity issue. Um, we'll then set up the users, train them. Um, and and as, as Carl says, very often you need to, to find pairs uh, or, or trade routes where, where people can test. Uh, we'll work with, with the customer to, to find those trade routes and get them testing. We tend to test uh, with people um, over a couple of months. Uh, and then if people are interested in moving out to an operational phase, uh, we have a success team who will help develop a, a rollout for how organizations can bring their counterparties in across the globe, how they can move to additional sites and additional countries and maybe additional products and, and goods and commodities as well. Uh, so pretty formalistic process. Uh, we'll be taking a lot of it online over the next few months as well, um, making it sort of self-registration and, and, uh, and self-fulfillment essentially. Thanks, Alex. Um, I think your your mic was breaking up there, but uh, I, I think we got that point. So that, that that's great. Um, you know, I think this is going to be one of the major you know things about we were talking about what is stopping digitization. It's 
it's really just adoption. So I think we're we're open for business. You know, both companies we're we're hoping to to sign up many many new corporates, new banks uh, to really start expanding that network and, and really take advantage of this tipping point that we're in. Um, how is this going to to shape out though? So when it comes to banks and letters of credit, you know, the current way of doing letters of credit between banks, of course, is using SWIFT, which is a global standard, and then they each use their own systems uh, with their own customers. Um, Carl, is it the sort of vision of, of Contour to become sort of the next global standard for letters of credit and, and more broadly trade and trade finance? Or, you know, do you see lots of different players taking little pieces of that? Well, I, I think it's building an ecosystem is a challenge, right? And and building a global ecosystem, as we talked about, multiple countries, multiple, um, uh, you know, customs and, and uh different commodities and all that, you know, it, it's a challenge. So really from a contour perspective, we're starting on letters of credit um, and letters of credit um, are a global standard. And that's one, that's the easy part about it is that everyone does a letter of credit the same, manages the same way, whether you're in, you know, in, in Africa or Bangladesh or Egypt or London or Singapore, whatever it is, um, letters of credit are a standard. And, what we're trying to do in, in, in Contour is build an ecosystem, uh, get people used to using a uh, our system without too much education about building something new. Education in, in an ecosystem is, is a challenge, and um, you know, and and so you know, I guess the the, the example I use is um, is 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 Amazon, right? Amazon. And, and I was I left banking the first time in the dot-com boom to go work for a dot-com. And, and I remember trying to hire people and they were going to sell cloud services. And I say, do you buy anything on the internet? And these are, these are young people who are like, I would never put my credit card in the internet. What, are you crazy? That's so scary, right? Do you want to sell you know, cloud services? You, you, you need to be able to, to use it, right? Those were the days where you know, people were afraid to buy anything on the internet. But Amazon chose books. Books are a, a commodity. It's a paperback or a hardback. There's no different sizes. It's a pretty easy thing to accept. If you're afraid of taking a chance of buying something on, on the internet, a book is probably the easiest thing to use, to, to, to use as an example, to try out first. Well, they went from books, built the ecosystem, and were able to offer a wider range of services. For us, you know, looking at letters of credit, letters of credit are the standard that everyone understands there, there are books, right? And so we're looking to build this, this, this ecosystem. Um, and it's not build everything. It's, it's partnering because you can't build everything everywhere. And I think for us, the, um, the idea is to continue to build the ecosystem um, with, with buyers and sellers and banks, but also partners that offer all that additional services um, that people want and, and need on the system. And they can be localized, they can be global, um, but that's where we see the you know how to expand the, um, the 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 service range on the system. So maybe not as much of a standard, but a network for everyone to communicate. That's great, Carl and Alex. Do you agree or have a different view of how this is going to come to fruition in the future? Well, I think there's two, there's two forms of standards. There's the standards where Everyone agrees a format and, and they adopt it. And, you know, on, uh, the UN did an amazing job in the 70s. They created UN EDIFACT, 
which is basically a standard that is still heavily used, uh, for example, in the container trade today. Uh, so when you get a standard right, it's massively powerful, as we all know. Um, Cross-border standards are obviously more complicated. There's a reason why we don't all use the same plugs. Um, so, so, the, so the question is, can you develop a cross-border standard that everyone will, will accept? If you can, you're going to get massive efficiency gains from it. But the other way to create a standard is through a platform that dominates. Uh, I mean, in many ways, Microsoft created a, pla a standard for documents for most of us in the world. Um, the, the issue with something like Microsoft is I don't think it has any applicability in trade, as we've discussed uh, several times already today. There's just so much complexity. There's so many mini parts that require real expertise and, 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 and real uh, complicated tool sets that, that no one party is going to come in and develop a single standard platform. So, so then, you, then you end up with this issue of, okay, then I need the, the standards where we all agree. Uh, and, and those will come, but they'll take longer. And, and, and there's a lot of work already going into that today. Um, but we haven't yet seen the fruits of the labor. Yeah, I think standards are interesting because, you know, you raised the point earlier about, you know, if I'm a user, do I want to have to go in and log into many different systems and, and maintain all of these different relationships and use one system for my trade to Asia, one system for my trade to Europe, a different for the U.S., et cetera, et cetera which isn't a great sort of user experience, even if it is using this, the, the sort of the same standard. So, you know, do you think it's, it's the need for standards and many platforms? Or do you think in each industry, there's going to need to be sort of a, a standard platform, if you will, a standard network that will actually become, if you will, the standard through that domination? So more the Microsoft effect, but with maybe less of the downside through, you know, less centralized power and less centralized data and things like that. I think there's going to be clusters of solutions, uh, some of which are regional, some of which are um, country-specific, uh, some of which are uh, global. And, and it's, it's a little bit unclear today. I mean, we're working on this project in the US. It was spearheaded by a trade association and, and a number of their members. And essentially, overnight, we should be able to digitize 80% of the intra-American uh, dry bulk barge business. Uh, through this, and, and these guys are shipping between seventy and one hundred thousand shipments a year. Um, so, so it's possible for consortium to come together and make massive change, and by definition, that platform becomes a standard uh, for that unique trade in that unique area. Um, but there's going to be problems, as we said, where, where some countries won't allow. Uh, that platform to come in. It might be a US-based platform and, and China goes, no, forget it. You can't replicate what, what you've just done in the US and China. We want our own version. And, and, and so I think as we learn more as to which way the world is going, as technology develops, we're bound to get islands that have to interoperate. Um, and it's quite how efficiently we do that that will make it much easier for our customers. If, if, if we get this wrong as solution providers, our customers are going to seriously struggle to massively digitize their trade business. Um, on the other hand, if, if we can get our partnerships to work and work in an incredibly efficient way that makes the user experience brilliant, uh, the opposite will happen. And as I said, you'll get an acceleration of trade. And you know, almost none of us presumably ever check airline prices on BA.com or at Singapore.com or AA.com. We all go to Expedia or Kayak or, or Google. But we probably then go back and actually do the booking on the local website because you can get a better user experience. It's easier to cancel. It's easier to amend uh, your flights. 
And, and, and so fundamentally, usability trumps everything. And, and that's why, and you've mentioned it many times in this call, Josh, I, I think fundamentally for our partnerships to really be successful, we need to drive a better user experience than any one of us can do by ourselves. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's a great answer. And um, really, all of these industries are, are so massive, right? And we're seeing a sort of a trend now with each industry wanting to come together and build a sort of standard for that industry, whether it's the trade finance industry, whether it's a certain commodity trading industry or um, the, the more logistics side. And I think all of these interoperating, to use that word, uh, is really going to be crucial to the success. Uh, but I think interoperability means different things to different people. And this will be sort of the last big question before we sort of close off. But um, interoperability can mean at a network level, meaning, you know, two networks interoperate. Or, or more, more commonly, and what we're seeing with, with sort of between SDOCs and Contour, interoperability can actually be at the participant level. So as an individual bank or as an individual corporate, I can join the networks that are valuable to me and then allow those networks to work it out so that the experience and that user experience is as seamless as possible, which I think is sort of what we've worked on uh, and I think to great success. You know, how do you think that's different than sort of the network interoperability that people are looking at uh, in hoping that sort of blockchain solves. Maybe, Carl, you can answer that one first, uh, in, 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 yeah. or if you can pass it to Alex, it's fine. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it is it is interesting. And if you look at, so looking at sort of a uh, interoperability a, uh, at, a, at a blockchain or a, a platform level, right? Ideally, you know, everyone is on the same platform, so therefore the uh, security is the same, um, and uh, you know, data transfer is is, is seamless. Uh, the minute from from a from a technical perspective, two blockchains interoperating, two blockchain platforms on different systems interoperating is very difficult. You have to stop one blockchain, pull the data out, send it to the other one, process it, and then bring it back. Um, but but that's at a blockchain level. Working with APIs, you can still move that data electronically, right? And that's what the customers at the moment. We want to just make sure that data inheritance is there, that that data moves over from one system to another as seamless as possible. No one should key things in. I think in the future, when all the right now on this journey from going from paper to PDFs to structured data, when everything is structured data, then people will be more interested in, okay, what system it is and, and how safe it is and which blockchain you know, platform should we use? But that's later on. Right now, if we can just move from, you know, is partially paper to 100% structured data, move through those PDFs, then that'll be a tremendous success already. Um, and then we can look at the nuances. But it's really like I think both everyone's sort of saying is the customer experience. If we can move data between, uh, you know, the different systems. So a customer, it's it's easier for a customer to use. It's painless. There's no rekeying in. Hopefully, there's uh, you know status updates. There's less reason to to log in two systems. Then that's the experience that that they want, and that's the the one they're going to choose. That's great, Carl. So Alex, do you agree? Do do we need to wait for blockchains to magically interoperate w with what, each other, or? Is what we're doing with APIs going to be good enough to create that user experience that we're looking for? I think APIs is definitely good enough to create that user experience. And I have no doubt at some point in time, someone will crack the, the blockchain technology interoperability issue. Um, 
but I, I don't think that has been holding people back because essentially you can do data transfer through APIs. You can have functional APIs. I mean, essentially what we've done together is you've embedded the core functionality of Cargo Docs into the Contour platform. So there's no need for a bank or a corporate to, to, to log into our system at all to review the EBL or surrender it to the to the shipping line or, or transfer it to another party. They can do that through the Contour UI. Um, so the technology is there and it's relatively standard and easy to do today. So I think it's much more about the user experience. I mean, one of the big things we haven't touched on, but it's a massive element of, let's talk about it as data rekeying, but a slightly different data. If you're going to end up using 10 platforms, you cannot have to set up 10 different registrations uh, for all your user information, because obviously that sort of thing is not going to work. You're going to need user um, interoperability and user provisioning, automated user provisioning as well, uh, to again uh, provide the, this seamless user experience. But again, the technology exists. This, this isn't hard to do. So I think we have all the tools to bring these systems together and, and provide this, this great user experience today. Uh, and I think our partnership with you has proven that that is is there and it works. Um, and I think, you know, each of us partnering with lots of other people and, and we'll show it time and time again. And I, I think we're all moving in the right direction. And as long as we continue to focus on giving the, the users a great product and a great user experience and real ROI, uh, we'll continue to, to win customers and, and digitize trade. Okay, well, I think that's great. That's all the time we have for today's episode. You know, thank you, Alex and, and SDOCs for your continued partnership and uh, collaboration. And, and Carl, of course, thank you for joining today's call. We will be rolling out more podcasts in the coming weeks, so please visit our website for the latest episodes. To find them, go to contour.network slash resources. If there are any other topics you'd like us to cover, please email your suggestions to contact at contour.network. Thank you very much for listening in. Until next time, I'm Joshua Craker, signing off.